0: Greetings comrades and welcome back finally to another episode of Chatter in the Skull. And I apologize for the delays of these episodes in the past couple of weeks. If you guys have been following what's going on, I've mentioned that I've been very sick. I don't know what's been going on. It started off with, at the very end of recording the last episode, my eye was starting to hurt incredibly. And then it became evident that i had been infected with some sort of eye infection, probably pink eye. And then two days later, i got a really bad sore throat. So I've got these two in combination. And then I get the flu. And then all of these happen in combination. And then finally, when it seems like I'm recovering and it's like I'm all almost already done. And finally, back to normal. I get a horrible ear infection. My left ear, in fact, I still can't hear out of this ear. And fortunately, it doesn't hurt anymore. But I was in such pain that I ended up going to the emergency room to see a doctor and get some medication but obviously hasn't resolved the issue either way after a rotating cast of illnesses besides the fact that I still can't hear out of this ear I'm back to normal thankfully but regardless they I've had lots of things that I wanted to talk about because there have been a huge number of things that have happened in the past couple weeks that I wanted to discuss but unfortunately, I'm deciding to limit myself to three individual stories today because I still don't have a lot of time to record. So I have to limit what I talk about for this episode. So we're going to do three big news stories that I've missed in the past couple of weeks, and hopefully then we can continue to get back on the wagon and continue as normal. So let's start off our episode by talking about the big news, which happened the day I literally recorded the last episode. Which, of course, the news is that Donald Trump will be indicted. The grand jury officially recognized to indict him about two weeks ago. And we're not going to go through this article. It's just the, just the background. So in any case, former U.S. President Donald Trump has officially been indicted on a number of counts. The indictment has not yet been unsealed, so we're not 100% sure what the contents of charges are. That being said, we know that it is in reference to a payment that he made to former porn star Stormy Daniels to try and do a hush story on a story she was working on, that I believe was Esquire magazine, about a time when they had sex. Essentially, this payment came out of campaign finances, and that's a big no-no, and long story short, this has led to a grand series of events that have unraveled to lead to an indictment that we are looking at today. So I don't want to spend too much time getting lost in the details because a lot of people have talked about this. The details are out there. We can talk about them ad nauseum. What I do want to talk about more so is people's responses to this, how I think this will affect the political landscape going forward, and what this actually made me think of when I heard about this indictment initially. So when I first heard about this indictment, the first thing I thought about, and it may surprise you, was actually ancient Rome. And the reason I thought about ancient Rome is because, as some of you may know, that in the ancient Roman Republican political system, of course, this is not the later empire political system, which is a whole different ballgame. So within the Republican system, there was this custom that while you were running for office, or while you held political office, you could not be persecuted for any crime, essentially. But once you were out of office, once your term had expired, All bets were off once you had left political office, so if you had accumulated some debts or a large number of enemies, they would just be sitting there sharpening their knives, waiting for you to essentially finish your term. Okay, comrade, you might be thinking, that's all well and good, but what the hell does this have anything to do with anything in regards to what we're talking about now? Well, I've always felt that the American system kind of had a similar custom embedded within it that effectively that while you were running for office or while you were in office any criminal activities that you might be engaged in would be put aside until of course you were out of office however one of the things and this does not apply to all politicians within the american system but when it comes to presidents there haven't there hasn't been a single president indicted once they have left office this is a new development because it's almost like within the american system there's an even greater custom that once you're out of office It's not the same as in the Roman system where you would be persecuted by your enemies as soon as you were out of office. But if anything, now that mentality is coming back into the American system, which I think is an interesting historical parallel. And part of the reason why I felt that Donald Trump announced his run early was he was in some way maybe relying on that custom to protect him and shield him from any criminal indictments, because again, if you're running for office, you're in a different realm in regards to criminal activities, especially when it comes to criminal activities that may be of a political nature, such as your campaign finance payoffs and that sort of thing. When you're actually in the process of running for office, the argument would be is that the influence of a criminal trial would disrupt. the the process of someone running for office would just disrupt the natural process of running for office. Obviously, this leaves aside a whole slew of issues. For example, what if someone is actually guilty and has actually done something wrong and needs to pay for their crime that they've done to society? We don't just, we can't just look aside just because they're running for office. In any case, I always thought that there was a unique parallel between the systems because While I do think that there is definitely some overblown play in terms of the historical similarities that people bring between Rome and America, there are definitely some similarities and some interesting similarities to point out. And I think part of the reason why there was this notion that you don't prosecute a president when they're out of office for stuff they did well in office, because there was this kind of implicit notion that if you did that, then once parties change leadership and once parties change in Washington, they're now going to come after you because you've broken that taboo of not coming after each other for our shady shit. So while yes, I am happy this is happening, definitely happy this is happening, I do have some concerns, but those concerns are washed away by one of the things that I do think that this indictment is hoping to do or setting to do, which is opening the door to other criminal investigations. Because This one in regards to this payment is not the only criminal investigation against Donald Trump. There are other ones which include things all the way up to allegations of sexual assault and abuse. So obviously some pretty heavy legal matters for the former president are starting to rear its ugly head. And I do think that the hope with this indictment is that it will essentially open the door. That once you've got, once you've opened that door, you've set the first indictment. That makes it easier to then bring in indictments in regards to other things and other cases which are ongoing right now and we'll probably see come to fruition in the near future and before i get into one of the things i want to talk about which is what the rights response has been to this indictment i do want to talk a little bit about how this will help him within his base we have a story from political that politico which says that indictment turbocharges trump's fundraising I can completely see this to me. This is completely understandable because uh, what Trump is going to use this to do is create a very strong us versus them narrative that, you know, what's one of his famous lines that he likes to say that they're really after the people and I'm just standing in your way. I think he's half right. I think he's after the people just as much as anybody else, but that's a conversation for another day. In any case, he can use this indictment to kind of fuel that fire. Fuel that anger and use it to fundraise a boatload of money off of. But for all that this is going to do, what this indictment has in my mind is 100% seal the deal as Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. There was some discussion last year, at the end of last year, when it looked like Trump might be really weak and really vulnerable after the midterms. But that has fallen away as Ron DeSantis has, has failed to capitalize on his own political momentum and allowed Trump to really recapture. The spirit in the base of the GOP, that is only going to further that capturing of the base by Donald Trump that this indictment that is. And at this point, I, I can't see the the Republican base lifting their head up out of the anger that they have for this indictment and starting to see the force for the trees, which is that Donald Trump is incredibly vulnerable in a general election. I can't see him beating Biden in 2024 unless Biden just spectacularly implodes, which in politics is something you can never, ever, ever discount. But that being said, as things stand, I think Biden would clean Donald Trump's clock, especially after this indictment. So while this is going to propel him to martyr status within the conservative movement, and as a result, I don't think they'll be able to see his weakness electorally and the fact that he's probably going to lose and come to their senses and maybe try and choose somebody, their senses, quote unquote, I'm happy again that this is happening and that Donald Trump is probably going to win and run again in a much more vulnerable position than he was in 2020. And yeah, I don't think that they're going to realize that going into 2024, Donald Trump is going to be even more vulnerable than in 2020, even more likely to lose than in 2020. In 2020, I personally thought it was pretty much a coin flip up until election day, but if we're talking 2024 right now, I'd say that Biden has probably like an 80% chance of winning the election. Obviously nothing is ever 100% chance in politics. Again, that being said, he's got some pretty sizable advantages. And that brings me back to how a lot of the regular rank and file Republicans and conservative leaning people are talking about this and how they're trying to argue this case and it's a lot of weak arguments in my opinion that's probably not a big shock coming from me that being said these seem like weaker than usual arguments the big one is a lot of whataboutism like tim poole when he had his debate with destiny his big thing was like bringing the whataboutism about barack obama and murdering a u.s citizen via drone strike which in my opinion is appalling obviously it's something that i do think he should be actually tried criminally for or have some sort of criminal investigation for. But that doesn't stop the fact that we are looking at Donald Trump right now, who actually has criminal indictments against him. So let's deal with this first. Let's talk about this one first that is on our plate right in front of us before we start talking about the presidents of Eon's past. And maybe, just maybe, this probably won't happen. Man can dream is a fingers crossed that if we actually indict a former president, that might open the door to some other former presidents feeling the heat for some of their actions maybe again probably not but you never know so yeah basically they'll do this kind of whataboutism dance and then through the dance they'll get to the point where we gotta drop the current indictments against trump because we didn't indict all these other presidents for all these bad things and to me such a spectacularly weak argument that it shows that i i feel like the conservatives are just They're really losing their grip. They're really losing this, this, they they thought they had this advantage in rhetoric and that they had this high ground in terms of being able to communicate with people, Uh, not so much anymore. But the answer is obvious that not just Barack Obama and Donald Trump, but literally every president, I would say in the 20th and 21st century. And this is again, I believe this is a quote by Noam Chomsky, that if the international law were applied universally to all countries. That all of these presidents would effectively would be in jail for being war criminals, and he's one hundred percent right about that. And that includes Donald Trump. Who, if you don't think murdered U.S. civilians with drone strikes, you are dreaming. (laughs) If you don't think that he had just as a horrific drone policy as Barack Obama, again, you're dreaming. And this is for me when I think about Donald Trump and all of his innumerable failures, the one tiny bright spot I think of in terms of his tenure was he had okay foreign policy, especially in comparison to the last Republican president. But even though he had, mediocre foreign policy, don't fool yourself into thinking that again, he's so squeaky clean guy <laughs> that never, ever did any of these other things that any of the other presidents did in regards to drone strikes and the war on terror and that kind of crap. Obama definitely, and one of the things, like, as we move forward in time, I do feel like Obama is looking worse and worse. Uh, His presidency is looking worse and worse as time goes on, especially, like, when you compare it to what Joe Biden has been able to do, who has somehow been able to do more than Barack Obama in less time and with less votes in Congress. It really makes Obama look, like, ineffective in comparison. But for me, I will say that my biggest complaints with Obama are in regards to a lot of his foreign policy failures. Libya being a huge one, obviously. That country is still in a state of near chaos because of the removal of Muammar Gaddafi and the ensuing civil wars. There's failure in Syria, in my opinion, and failure in a lot of the Arab Spring countries, which he oversaw during his tenure and, of course, expanding the use of drones during his tenure as president. He did have some wins getting getting Osama bin Laden, getting America out of Iraq. Those are two very big wins, and he deserves a ton of credit for that, in my opinion. That being said, that I do think that, looking back with our historical vision, that my biggest complaints with Barack Obama's presidency was in terms of his foreign policy. Anyway, back to the conversation at hand. The other argument that the right is deploying right now is that you're making this political you're making this too political and that to me is a good argument if you don't think about it but the moment you think about it you realize what essentially they're doing is setting forth an impossible task because how in the hell can you make the indictment of a former president for election and political related crimes not political it's impossible you can't do it everything about this is political in nature and somehow you want to drain the politics from it good fucking luck it's a dream it's a fantasy it's a red herring something that they use and deploy to get you to go down another route and talk about a different thing than what's actually happening right now in front of us but those are the two major ones that i have seen deployed and again i don't think that those are going to hold a lot of water obviously definitely people are not going to be moved by those arguments but especially for our conversation i don't think independent people will be moved by those arguments i think independent people are going to look at a criminal indictment and be turned off by that i do have one concern in regards to that but let's, uh, let's move into the next story and this does alleviate a lot of my concerns are more serious legal laws ahead for trump experts say nyc case may be the least of his worries i well, know that's another. Phrase I've always hated experts say whatever. That's another conversation. I do think in this case that yes, there are other case other criminal cases that are currently being investigated and currently coming underway. And as I alluded to earlier in the episode, I do think that this indictment can open the door for a lot of them. But let's for now just take what's on the table for us. And because none of these other cases have come to fruition yet, we are just gonna pretend that we know that they never will. And we're just going to deal with the cases that's right in front of us. So given the case that is in front of us, my biggest concern is the convoluted nature of some of the way this is being pursued in a legal manner. And it makes me worried that somehow Donald Trump will be able to weasel his way out of this as he has weaseled his way out of many things in the past. The man is an expert weaseler. He's greasier than the kitchen floor at a McDonald's. The man is an expert at being able to avoid trouble and getting out of trouble. It's very possible that he could find an avenue to do that again, and that is a concern of mine. So what do I mean by it seems convoluted from a legal sense? And again, I'll preface this by saying that I'm not a legal expert. I'm just a legal layman, as you would say. But essentially, when it comes to this case in particular... That a lot of the charges being pursued have gone past their statute of limitations. However, that can be nullified if these crimes are being used to hide a larger and more nefarious crime which would garner more time. So from my understanding, effectively what is being argued is that that even though the statute of limitations has expired on these smaller crimes, they were used to hide larger crimes. And therefore, they are prosecutable under sort of a heavier legal umbrella, if you will. And to me, that just sounds like a difficult thing to prove in court. It just sounds like a very high bar of evidence that the prosecution will need to attain in order to attain a conviction. I do hope that the prosecution, in this sense, has the evidence that they need to attain the conviction. We haven't seen it, and it's going to be very interesting to see a lot of the evidence coming out as this, trial, as this trial moves forward. But that being said, even if he is able to beat these charges and prosecution isn't able to substantiate the evidence that they need to, again, I talk about how I do believe that there are other legal cases in the pipeline that will be coming down, and this one in particular is just opening the door and is in part designed to encourage the opening of the door for other indictments to come. So with the indictment now talked about, I want to move on to the next big piece of news, which was the 2023 Wisconsin Supreme Court election. And I was actually not aware of this and how important it was until a Discord member brought it up to me and mentioned that this was a big deal that was happening in Wisconsin. So I just wanna give a big shout out to Lay Bandit for bringing this election actually to my attention because I had not heard about it until he mentioned it on the Discord server. And he has a great little blurb about some of the issues within Wisconsin. So I'm just gonna read some of it here for you guys. For those of you unfamiliar, Wisconsin had a Republican legislature and congressional delegation for quite a few years. Though, the, though it is a very purple state, it's voted Democratic and presidential elections since Reagan, except for 2016. And in the last 50 years, there have been five out of nine Democratic Governors and five out of seven Democratic Senators. For non-Americans, statewide races can't be gerrymandered because, again, they're usually on more of a, like a popular, straight popular vote. However, in 2019, Republicans locked in their advantage through strategic redistricting, and the Congress and state legislatures have been a Republican majority ever since. Obstructing the efforts of Democratic governors, the Republican-controlled state Supreme Court has blocked lawsuits to challenge this control. However, this has come to a head last year. The Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade led to Wisconsin to revert to a 19th-century abortion ban over more recent legislation and the will of the governor. A lawsuit is in the works to challenge this, but it would certainly have been denied by a conservative court. Luckily, one of the justices retiring the seat is up for statewide election. It has already become the most expensive judicial election in history, with huge amounts of outside money and support coming in for both sides. It remains to be seen who will prevail in the waffling Wisconsin electorate and the low turnout of an off-year spring election. Well, it is now not remaining to be seen, It is, it has been decided. So once again, thanks to Lee Bandit for that great rundown of what is happening in Wisconsin. So let's move into the actual results of this election. It looks like the Democratic leaning candidate, Janet, I'm sorry, I'm not going to even try and pronounce your last name, Janet. (laughs) Janet won sizably with over 10% of the vote. Apparently this, everyone was predicting that this is going to be a very close election going into it. Evidently, it was not that close, and her opponent, David Kelly, got his clock pretty sizably cleaned. So, the reason why this is so important, and Lay Bandit alluded to it before, is the emphasis on abortion rights. Essentially, Wisconsin is trying to bring in a more reasonable law into the state. However, given that the Supreme Court used to have a conservative bent, it would be most likely they would most likely try and deny it or crush it or however they can prevent it from becoming law. Now that you have a more progressive-leaning Supreme Court in Wisconsin, it makes it much more likely that they're actually going to adopt a reasonable abortion law. But not only that, another big concern about this election was, given that Wisconsin's status as a swing state and an election coming up next year, People were worried that if we had a contentious election, like in 2020, if there was a conservative Supreme Court in Wisconsin, they could try and attempt to jerry-rig the election in support of Donald Trump, despite what the actual voting populace has decided on. So obviously now with a more progressive leaning justice, it looks like that door is closed for conservatives, hopefully for a long time, but certainly for the time being. But before we move on for this, before this election, because it is a great win, it is a great win for the left, I do want to talk a little bit about how messed up Wisconsin is. As mentioned before, Wisconsin is a pretty heavily gerrymandered state to the point where you get some pretty ridiculous and extraordinarily undemocratic outcomes. So let's look at some Wisconsin state elections. So the last one they had what was, it, what? it yeah, 2022. So the Republicans did pretty well, right? They get 54% of the vote. They get 64 seats in comparison to the Democrats, 39 seats. Okay, let's see how things were in 2020. Again, the Republicans did pretty well, securing 53% of the vote and 61 seats. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Let's move back to 2018. And we have a slightly different picture here. Whereas in 2018, the Democrats actually won the popular vote. And not just by a little bit, but by a pretty sizable margin. We can see here that they won the popular vote by 53%. However, that only entitled them to a gain of one seat. So you can see that they increased their vote share from the last election by a total of eight points, but only managed to gain one seat as a result of that, leaving the Wisconsin State Assembly firmly in Republican control not just a little bit in Republican control, very firmly. There are 99 seats in the Wisconsin state legislature. The Republicans in this election had 63. That's You're talking about close to a two-thirds majority. And moving back, we can see a trend where, despite the fact that the Republicans can do well, and they do do well in some elections, they get well over 50% of the popular vote, there are times when the Democrats beat them Yet, despite the fact that they comfortably beat them in the popular vote, they remain languishing with significantly less seats than they should. And this is because Wisconsin has been gerrymandered to all hell. To the point where when you have state elections, things very rarely change. The popular vote doesn't matter at all. And basically, the Republicans have locked themselves into a two-thirds majority even if somehow they managed to only get 35% of the vote. So Wisconsin is a weird state, to say the least, and Wisconsin, I would like to see them adopt significantly more democratic practices moving into the future. So speaking of justices and judicial shenanigans, let's move into our last story of the day. We are talking about the ruling on Miflopressone, which is a pill used for in the United States, effectively what has happened is that a federally appointed judge in Texas, appointed by Donald Trump, has effectively rescinded the FDA approval of this particular medication, single-handedly decided I'm going to remove the approval, the 23-year-old approval of the FDA based on my kooky political positions. So obviously this is a horrific precedent to set. I have not seen a single conservative come out here and argue that this isn't judicial overreach without the total looney tunes, social conservatives like Ted Cruz, Mike Pence, that kind of crowd. Virtually no conservatives are coming out and defending this and saying that it isn't a judicial overreach, even though I'm sure many of them are silently praising it. Obviously, this has a whole slew of negative consequences, not just for women seeking to gain access to health care, but just in general, moving into the future has bad precedence because effectively what this has said, and this if this actually goes to the Supreme Court and is codified somehow, given the status of the Supreme Court, seems relatively likely. But you now have a situation where If you again let this codify, you can have judges just starting to revoke FDA approval on any number of medications. Maybe some crazy social conservative decides that Viagra is leading to too much adultery, and we now have to rescind its FDA approval. I know it sounds silly, but now this is something in the theoretically in the realm of possibility. They've opened the door to this kind of conversation. And that's, of course, not the only potential medication that could be on the table. You can think of anything that may be even slightly controversial or related to sex or sexual reproduction or sexual health, and that could be on the table moving forward. Although right now, this is still relatively theoretical because another judge effectively issued an opposing ruling in regards to this rescinding of FDA approval, so there are Two rulings, each are are contradictory towards one another. So effectively, where does that leave the U.S. government and people who want to maintain access to rights and abortion care to women across the country? Well, basically, this leaves us at one point. If this could, at some point, morph into actual codified law, effectively, right now, the most important thing to do would be to ignore the Supreme Court completely. And my favorite is when you have people who just love to suckle on those institutions of power coming out all shocked and chagrined by this notion. This is something that AOC Alexandria Ocasio Cortez famously said on CNN about a week ago. She outright said that if this becomes a codified law, the federal government should simply ignore it. And I 100% agree with her. And of course we can move over to Fox news here and uh, see that this is causing some exploding heads in the conservative realm, such a controversial and shocking notion, but says here the idea that politicians can blow off court rulings. They do not like fundamentally undermines the rule of law. To be quite honest, this is something that again, is very different from a way a person who is a socialist sees the world in comparison to someone who is a liberal or a conservative. And again, this is a big difference between socialists and liberals, and this is a difference that can lead to a lot of political breakups between socialists and liberals, which is that a socialist looks at institutions within society and only will support them and care about them insofar as that they are actually supporting and enhancing the welfare of the working class and humanity more generally. Where someone who believes that the institutions of power must be protected at all costs, believes that even if we are running into a point where an institution like the Supreme Court is very clearly violating individual and human rights, they say that, well, we should just accept what they say anyway, we should just accept all the crap (laughs) that comes out of the Supreme Court, regardless of how it actually impacts people on the ground, because fundamentally to them the rule of law, quote unquote, is what's most important. Whereas for me, human welfare and dignity is what's most important and not to put words in AOC's mouth, but I would like to think that for her, it's also the same. And this is another thing that really, you know, defines a difference between someone who is a lawful good and chaotic good. If you think about things in that D and D morality spectrum that these people, these institutionalists, these law and order types, believe that there is something inherently moral just by following the law in and of itself, and I fundamentally disagree with that, and someone who is in the chaotic good category believes that following the law in the sense when it leads to detrimental impacts for human welfare, for human rights, for human dignity, then following the law is inherently immoral, and not only that, we have a moral dignity to fight against it, to overturn it and to not follow that law at every single possible turn. Remember, the law is not inherently moral in and of itself. It is only moral insofar that it protects human welfare. And not only that, we're talking about a time when the Supreme Court has definitely the least amount of credibility in my lifetime, maybe the least amount of credibility ever, because now we're learning that Clarence Thomas and who knows who else is effectively taking bribes from far right aligned billionaires we had this story come out over the last couple of weeks where you have this fellow by the name of Harlan Crow who i desperately think should rename himself to doctor doom in order to sound less intimidating mr crow <laughs> mr crow not only has been delivering boatloads of perks to his boy, Clarence Thomas, in the form of vacations, in the form of benefits, in the form of little perks and gifts, in the form of being able to fly around on his private jet, in the form of being able to trowel about on his private yacht. All of this stuff is given to Clarence Thomas from this billionaire and implicitly assumed because of their aligned political views. So unfortunately, that story didn't have some of the pictures of the memorabilia in question. Here we have some pictures of some swastika-adorned napkins and linen, and we also have some various medals, pictures, postcards, and other things from the Nazi era in this guy's house. (laughs) And then, of course, the crown jewel, which unfortunately we do not have a picture of, is a signed copy of my comp so you have people coming out and defending this guy and defending the relationship you got like ben shapiro coming out and "Like just because he has nazi shit in his house doesn't mean he likes nazis he's trying to remind himself of the evils of this regime and here's the thing those fucking nazi collectible historical collectible shit it's expensive It's like the most sought-after historical collectible shit out there. So obviously this guy shelled out a pretty penny for that stuff. I bet you a fucking signed copy of Mein Kampf could probably sell that shit at auction for a ridiculous amount of money. Nazi shit sells. Weirdos are obsessed with it. So there's no question that he put out a pretty penny to acquire these historical artifacts. And I'll tell you guys one thing. When it comes to the things I hate, I certainly don't spend potentially millions of dollars of my hard earned money building shrines to them in my house. That is not something that you do for something which I think you have no affinity for. But you'll even have people like, you'll even have places like the Atlantic coming on and saying, like, Clarence Thomas, billionaire's friend, is no Nazi. Okay. He might not be like a literal fucking goose-stepping Nazi that Zig Hailey every day, but to pretend that he doesn't have obvious far-right sympathies is just delusional. And unfortunately, in order to read their defense, they're going to make me sign or pay or some bullshit. And I'm just not going to do that. Anyway, the point is here is that the Supreme Court's legitimacy is cratering Average Americans are getting to the point where they aren't starting to take it as seriously anymore, where its approval ratings are falling. And unfortunately, though, these kind of conflicts between the federal government and the Supreme Court, I think, are only going to get worse, because we have seen that the Republicans effectively have had very limited electoral success for the current platforms, unless they're willing to change up a lot of what they stand for and a lot of what they espouse. It seems like they're going to continue to have more and more electoral defeats, but the one piece of the puzzle that they do have, the one power that they do have is in the Supreme Court, is in this institutional body, which they can use to not only eliminate future progressive legislation, but roll back the past on individual human rights, something which we've already seen them do. So, of course, places like Fox News and states aligned with the old guard and the Republican Party are going to screech about the Supreme Court being ignored because it's the last vestige of real power that they have. Unfortunately for them, the Supreme Court itself has effectively no enforcement mechanism outside of everybody just agreeing what they say is what we're going to do. And we're obviously coming to a certain zero point where people are going to say, you know what, we're not going to do what you say anymore. And at that point, what is the Supreme Court going to do? Well, they got to hope that their allies can bail them out because of the Supreme Court. How many divisions do they got? Answer, not very many. Meaning they have pretty limited practical power when the if the rubber were to actually hit the road. So, in any case, going back to this ban on this popular abortion pill, it to me is just setting the stage for future conflicts between the Supreme Court and the federal government. Obviously, this case hasn't gone to the Supreme Court yet, but it seems pretty much designed to get there and probably will get there at some point. In any case, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our news blast and pretty much the end of this episode of Chatter in the Skull. Unfortunately, I don't have time for a feel-good story today. I had to condense this episode into as shorter recording time as I could. And I'm hoping that I will have a shorter episode moving into Friday. Probably not going to be a full episode, but hopefully get something out on Friday so we can get back to our regular scheduled editions of the show. So with that, I think we're going to just head back to the intro screen. And unfortunately, I, like I said, I've exhausted my time today. There is a lot more things that I could talk about, do want to talk about, and hopefully we can get into those on Friday. It all depends on uh, if the little guy is going to give me the opportunity to be able to do some more recording, and uh, hopefully my ear infection doesn't come back or anything. Like I said, I still can't hear out of this ear. Yeah, this ear. But I am worried that uh, it might come back. I've already seen the doctor twice for this thing, and uh, it doesn't hurt, but I worry that it could just explode at any moment. Anyway, whatever happens, I'll always keep you guys posted. So with that, I want to thank you guys for watching. This has been the Comrade, Comrade, signing off for now. Until next time, you guys take care.